On this special episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we visit the Ohio State Association annual meeting on September 27th and 28th in Columbus, Ohio, and meet with leaders to discuss current issues in the ASC industry in Ohio. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 143 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for November 4th, 2021, recording from Hilton Head Island and from the Ohio Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers annual conference held at the Hilton Polaris in Columbus, Ohio on September 27th and 28th, 2021. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we're recording from our um, temporary studio (laughs) here in Hilton Head Island as uh, we're attempting to vacation together. Uh, That hasn't worked out very well, hasn't it? No, it's been kind of a busy week. (laughs) But we fit in a little bike riding and walks on the beach, so can't really complain too much. No, so and then we also have this problem. We we brought the studio with us, but I left all the cables (laughs) at home. So we're recording on my Mac, so you're going to have to apologize for the quality of the sound. Uh, our, our goal was to actually get three episodes out. I think we're going to get two out, unfortunately. It's just we are so far behind in everything here. And, of course, this conference was over a month ago, but it was a great, uh, it was a great conference. We did have our full studio when we were in uh, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And we're able to uh, interview all the leaders there. We didn't have an opportunity to uh, really interview any of the vendors. We had a couple mm-hmm, people that mm-hmm. we were able to interview, which we'll include yeah. here, unlike what we're normally able to do. I think people are still getting used to uh, getting back to normal, and it was a pretty hectic schedule. But uh, the conference was great. There was great attendance, as there always is in Ohio. Uh, the great, great sessions, those that we were able to see. I did another session on 30 years in the trenches, uh, same, similar session to what I did in, uh, at the New Jersey Association conference, uh, earlier in the third quarter. Uh, we did get to meet a lot of vendors too mm-hmm. in person, which is the first time. I actually I had an opportunity to have dinner with our, uh, our sponsor, uh, SIS. You uh, bailed on us that night. I did. Uh, it was a long day. I don't know. She was exhausted, so, but I, I got a I got a nice meal and mm-hmm. uh, and good an opportunity to meet with all of our friends over there. You know, the Ohio Association Conference is really one of the best conferences in the country. I, I really put like Ohio 
California and New York conferences, which, which we visit frequently, all, all on a certain level because of the, uh, the quality of the educational programs that they offer and the consistency of being able to bring in top speakers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Ohio did not uh, disappoint at all. Uh, and I wish we had an opportunity to get out to California. We did talk to uh, Beth Lavoyer about uh, California. We just weren't able to make it this year. But Ohio was a, a great uh, conference. And one of the things that they're really well known for um, is the first day of the conference, at least in all the times that I've been going there, is an infection control training. So they do a full day of training for infection control, which really helps. Um, it, it provides really all the training that an infection control coordinator in, in Ohio needs to meet that requirement of keeping up with, you know, the current infection control standards, et cetera. So if you are in Ohio, you know, we really encourage you to become a member of the Ohio State Association to be able to avail yourself of these wonderful conferences and the ability to get for one fee, not only, you know, the education you need in general for ASCs in Ohio, but also that, that critical infection control uh, education. And, and as a result of that, we do see quite a mix of of people at these conferences. So uh, what a great conference it was. So what we're going to do is uh, we have uh, a series of interviews that we did, uh, two interviews with um, uh, speakers and vendors, and then we were, had an opportunity to meet with the former president of the state association as well as the equivalent of an executive director right now. They are kind of in between uh, times with the executive director who will talk a lot about what's going on in the state. So let's take a short break and we'll come back and uh, we'll have those interviews. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central, an add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a, a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020, It's a New World Conference in 2020, Infection Control in-Service to Meet the Challenges of COVID-19, and the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. So our first interview was with Heidi Moss, and Heidi leads the member services team for the management company that manages the Ohio State Association. She talked a little bit about preparing for the conference, what was going on during the pandemic, and how the state association uh, really helped members to a high degree, as, as so many of the state associations did. You know, So if we look at, at what was happening during the pandemic, 
you know, the ones that we work with the most, like New Jersey, New York, Ohio, California, those state associations really stepped up and helped out. And Heidi did a great job here in this interview of explaining uh, what they did during the pandemic, how they pivoted uh, to be able to do uh, virtual conferences, and then what they did as they started to plan this in-person conference. So let's listen to that interview. So Sue and I are here with uh, Heidi Moss. Heidi leads up the uh, member services team for the Ohio Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks so much for joining us here. Hey, John. uh, Thank you for inviting me in to say a few words. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, congratulations on uh, getting back to uh, live conferences. I know that this has been something you've been wanting to do for a long time, and boy, we've all missed it. Now, this is my second live conference. I was in uh, Texas uh, last week for it, so a little nerve-wracking still, you know, because uh, the the crowd is different. Of course, we're we're all wearing masks here, which is very different. I can't understand Sue when she wears a mask anyway. Um <laughs> Uh, and that's why we're having the, the challenge. But, it, you know, but it's great to be back in person, getting to see old friends again. And it's been hard to believe that it's been two years. It really is unbelievable. And, and we were so happy to be able to make this happen because it was a great unknown to us, maybe until even as, as recent as three months ago. Right. Is this going to be able to happen? Yeah. And we really wanted to do it for our members, not only just for their kind of like the the well-being of them and getting to see each other, but they need this education and we needed to do it for our vendors and supporters as well and bring everyone together. So we're so happy that this has worked out. So I'll just state a couple things. First of all, Ohio's um, association is probably one of the most active and one of the uh, provides a lot of educational services. It has uh, something not totally unique. Several uh, state associations do this, but you do your first day of each annual conference is totally on infection control and is meant to be designed to uh, meet the requirements of CMS in the state to uh, assure that your infection control coordinator is up to date. So we're actually recording on the first day and that's what's going on in, in the background here as we're recording. So that's a great thing that you offer to your members. And you don't have to be a member in order to attend for that reason, but it's uh, certainly a very important part of the educational program. It is. You're right. And we actually did a lot of thinking because of all of the unknowns coming into this conference, we did change our format a bit. Right. We condensed things down, but we we peeled off a day and we peeled off one of our three sets of breakouts. But we did feel that infection prevention is something so specialized that we do, and we do dedicate that full day mm-hmm. that it was too important to the members not to leave on the schedule. So, right. yes, uh, we are uh, focusing on that all day today. It's been a great program. We're super thrilled with the attendance that we have, yeah. and it seems to be going really well. It is. I've been. Uh, watching around, uh, talking to a lot of the, of course, a lot of people are coming up. We have our own booth here. Thank you so much, by the way. And speaking to all of the vendor listeners to our podcast, I got to tell you, Ohio, I mean, we, we attend and we're members of a lot of associations. Ohio treats the vendors very well. You've done a great job with us during the pandemic. And uh, thank you for the hard work that you've put into to this. Oh, you're absolutely welcome, John. And, and we've been, it's it's been really a two-way street because There's been, for those of you who don't know, this conference was postponed twice. And our vendors have been great supporters and they have hung with us through the bad times and waited and had been patient and they've rolled over their fees and really worked with us. And it's been a wonderful partnership between those vendors and the association. And I've been walking around talking to all the vendors. Of course, I keep seeing the same vendors, of course, at all the conferences we go to and very happy, you know, and plus this attendance has been great compared to some of the other conferences that are going on. So obviously we've gotten the message out there. So, um, I'm going to 
be a little sad for a second because Randy Leffler joined us many times uh, over the years on the podcast. Uh, he unfortunately passed away very suddenly in 2019, uh, around Christmas time in 2019. December 23rd. It was the 23rd. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we had just seen him. Not very long before it, and it was quite a shock. And I know that uh, you are, I mean, as an organization, you're still reeling from that. It was two years ago, and, uh, you know, God bless you for having to step in, Heidi. And I know we were just joking earlier that, you you know, you're uh, you're heading up the member services team. Nobody is really a, appointed officially uh, an executive right. director yet. And I think, I think COVID has played a huge role in that because we lost Randy. And, you know, a little background, I was a teammate of Randy's, so mm-hmm. I was still involved in the operations of right, uh, AAS. Right along with some other teammates, but just not, you know, that on the front lines with him. And it was such a shock even to us as an organization to lose him as a team and then to the client to lose him and then to try and serve the client and to comfort them and help them feel comforted, but also confident that things will keep moving and then also work through our own, you know, sadness and challenges. Um, And then COVID came a couple months later and threw a whole new set of challenges at us. So we're... Let's talk about, you know, everybody reacted differently during the pandemic. You you really didn't get into the virtual conferences like a lot of organizations did. Uh, Actually, I think a lot of it is because you really expected to be able to do a live conference. You did have to cancel it a couple times. So you kind of went down one road and unfortunately weren't able to do it live. So talk a little bit about, you know, how the how the Ohio Association reacted, how it helped its members absent those regular meetings that you had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you mentioned, we are a fall meeting. So we had high hopes, you know, in Ohio here, it was 15 days to flatten the curve if yeah. everybody hunkers down. And so we had a great amount of hope that we would still be able to make it happen in October. And then yeah. it became clear that we wouldn't. So we didn't delve a lot into virtual that early because Mm -hmm. we were wanting to believe we would still be able to bring everyone together. Um, So what we ended up doing, as you mentioned before, the importance of the infection prevention, we did hold for our members and non-members a six-week series Mm -hmm. on infection prevention so that they all could still get their hours, get their Mm -hmm. experience. And it was really well attended. The members were incredibly appreciative and we were so relieved that we could offer them Mm -hmm. something. And then, you know, otherwise we just tried to work as closely as possible with the Ohio Department of Health. So we always had the most up-to-date information that Mm -hmm. was going to affect our members and the centers in Ohio and just to try and keep them informed and make them feel at ease if that was even yeah. possible, but at least let them feel like they knew what was happening. Right. And it was very important. I think the, the state associations, many of them came on their own, you know, really to the pandemic. Uh, so many, you know, Sue and I were joking, you know, other places, many of our competitors actually kind of shut down uh, during the pandemic, much as did many of the centers did. But we were busier. I mean, we had this, you know, we had this morning routine. We'd get up at seven o'clock in the morning. We would parse through the news. We had, you know, 11 o'clock New York State uh, governor was on and then New Jersey was on all the, the places. And we, you know, like every day something was happening. We, at one point during the pandemic, we were doing daily live podcasts, you know, for like three days a week. It was crazy. But and there I was that, a need. Yeah, it absolutely. Was, and, and as a state association, that's where you had to step in and help keep your, your members involved. Right. Talk a little bit about, you know, what you did, uh, just so people understand, you know, hopefully we'll never have this, but we know something's going to happen again. Talk a 
little bit about how you stepped up during that time, not just with the conferences, which we've talked about, with other services that you provided to the members at that point? Sure. I mean, I think what was most important to us and the board is being plugged in, making sure we understood the latest mandates or what was being prohibited by the governor's office. We were actually lucky enough to get on some conference calls with Mm -hmm. the team from the Ohio Department of Health. Um, And that was actually right when, because as, as most states, we did have our elective surgery procedures, you know, there was a stop put to them, right. a shutdown. And, uh, you know, we were able, with the help of some, you know, government affairs folks, to get on the phone with a team from the Ohio Department mm-hmm. of Health and get very detailed information about how our folks should be navigating this time. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, what we focused on in the very beginning is just making sure that everybody was represented and informed Mm -hmm. and getting news out to the members. You know, I'm sure a lot of groups did this, but we had our COVID-19 resource section. So there was a lot of Mm -hmm. news going out, a lot of resources being posted, a lot of alerts, um, everything we could do. And then and later down the road, it became what can we do to help our centers stay active well, you have an opportunity to be a vaccine provider. Right, so right. it was helping inform them about that potential opportunity, giving them the tools they need should they choose to want to do that mm-hmm. so they could keep things going. Just like I said, a lot of, a lot of it just making sure they had the information they needed to be able to do the best that they could in such a difficult time. Yeah. So a lot of news pushing out, a lot of meeting with the board, a lot of interaction with the Department of Health. So you weren't sitting at home doing nothing during that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. When you mentioned that you were having 7 a.m. meetings, yeah. I thought I remember those 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. days yeah. really, really well. There was a, a, a long, long string of those, just yeah. constant communication between the board and myself, the rest of my team, mm-hmm. you know, the the different um, folks with the state that had information that we needed or could answer our questions. Um, you know, it was a very busy time. Lest people think that because centers couldn't do procedures, there was nothing happening. I assure you there was a lot happening. So uh, talk a little bit. uh, So again, Ohio is probably one of the most active uh, state associations in many ways. You really have a lot of interesting programs. Uh, The one that comes to mind right away, because we have a couple centers in Ohio um, that are part of Amatory Healthcare Strategies. And of course, your benchmarking is an incredible tool for us. We love using your benchmarking in our our quality improvement program. So that's a big benefit. I believe that's free for members, correct? Or is there a charge? No, John, you are correct. It is free for all of our members to use. And it is one of the member benefits we're probably the most proud mm-hmm. of. As a matter of fact, we have like a reporting session that opens uh, this coming October 1st. Okay. So I'll For the be, third quarter. Yeah. I'll mm-hmm. be resetting those surveys on Thursday yeah. so folks can dig in and start entering their data on Friday. And um, it's all the members, I, I think a good portion of the members are very, very involved in using yeah. that tool. It's very important to them. It's an important tool for our centers in, in Ohio. And uh, and the fact that it's free, you know, is very good. I mean, a very, you know, a big benefit. Talk about the other benefits, though. Uh, you know, why, why should people join the Ohio Association of ASCs? I think that... The association is the best way to to really understand the things that are affecting your center that might be a, beyond what you're mm-hmm. seeing day to day. There are all these outside factors happening um, amongst the state, 
and federally. We work mm-hmm. closely with the National Association. And so sometimes I think it's very easy for people to kind of get tied up in their silo of this mm-hmm. is what my center needs. And you need someone to remind you that there are things going on on a bigger stage that you still need to know about right, and hopefully right. be involved with, whether it's letter writing campaigns to your Congress people or even your local General Assembly. Mm-hmm. We try to keep everybody aware of that. And we really encourage them to get involved and yeah. to try and reach out to their government officials. It's it's things like that, helping them understand the, the tricky thing about associations is you get out of it what you put into right, it. Right. So we, we are trying to give them an easy way to be engaged so that mm-hmm. they can do the best things for their senator that they absolutely possibly can. Well said, well said. Membership, uh, to get information, you go to the website. We'll put a link in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're at www.oaasc.net. Net, dot net, right. Because dot org is the benchmarking <laughs> system. So okay. it's it's dot net, um, but there's a join option yeah. right on that top menu. And, um, you know, we have a, a formula where there's a base rate and then it's actually a formula by procedures Number per procedures year. Maybe yeah. And, you know, starting in the fourth quarter, like we're happy to work with people. Like if, if you join in the fourth quarter, we can we can extend that membership through the end of next oh, year, nice. you know, yeah. so that you're kind of getting in and you don't have to turn around and pay yeah. dues again. So if there are folks out there that are interested, like definitely reach out because we yeah. can do something like that. Tell us a little bit about the conference and uh, putting it together. Now, it's been interesting. Uh, uh, I was in Texas where uh, we weren't wearing masks down there, but here everybody has to wear a mask. By the way, I didn't even ask, did the speakers have to wear a mask? No, because oh, there, there, yes, no, no, no. <laughs> there are these this interesting list of exceptions, and there yeah. are a lot of exceptions. Okay. And one of them is – that sort of um, formal speaking engagement situation. And I do appreciate the fact that we don't have to wear the mask while we're eating. That was very Yeah, nice that's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> yes. You can take your mask off. Someone earlier today told me that she asked if if she could claim a lipstick exemption. That she had just applied fresh lipstick and she um, was hoping that she could be excused from wearing her mask right away. And by the way, thank you very much for putting me on after Kara Newberry tomorrow. You know, hometown girl here, of course. Kara uh, is with the well, ASC Association. The she thing, comes before me. The thing is, John <laughs> – a lot of people don't get super excited. It's it's necessary information, but it's, it's not necessarily what gets your blood pumping unless it's bad. And then That's it gets right. your, your butt. So I think you will be a welcome. There we go. There you know. So, but yeah, it's it's um, it's great to have Kara right here. Yeah, it is. It is. She's such a such a great uh, team player. We missed her in New York because uh, so New York is going to have uh, Bill. <laughs> And, well, yeah. Uh, so because uh, you stole uh, Kara here, so <laughs> we, we understood that completely. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us here. This is a, a great conference, and I appreciate all the hard work that you've put into putting it together. Thanks so much, Don. I'm so glad that you and your team could come out, and I just hope you have a great experience here in Columbus. Thank you so much. And our second interview was with uh, Tori Kalet, who uh, is a very good friend of, of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tori uh, was the administrator for one of our clients, the Wooster Ambulatory Surgery Center, and she is the immediate past president of the Ohio State Association. We interviewed her, and she talked about the state association, you know, current issues that are going on in the state. We did try to, to interview the president. Unfortunately, she had to uh, rush off before we were able to do that interview. Uh, but Tori did a great job, as she always does, talking about the state association and its activities. So let's listen to that interview. 
So this is John Gailey. I'm here with Sue Cronkite, and we're interviewing such a dear friend, Tori Kalett, who uh, had been a client of ours for a long time, and then she uh, moved on to uh, work for uh, one of the major management companies, and she's joining us on behalf of the Ohio State Association. She's the former president. Barb Drave snuck out on you. How did that happen? She snuck out, so now you have to represent the whole state association. Well, welcome, Tori, to our thank podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So a lot has happened since you and I last talked. We interviewed, I think it was two years ago, almost about the same time of year. Yeah. Um, and I think you were just the outgoing president at that point. You might have been still the president during the meeting. Yes, I was. That's correct. Yeah. So, so now, unfortunately, you have to represent the entire board. Board, uh, today <laughs> to kind of talk a little bit about what's going on. We uh, we interviewed Heidi earlier, and hopefully when we put this podcast together, we'll remember to put Heidi first and then Tori <laughs> later. Um, um, but, uh, you know, Heidi told us about the membership and, uh, you know, membership advantages and, and what the challenges of going through this conference. One of the things that's been very challenging for the association, unlike many of the other state associations, you really didn't go hog wild into virtual conferences like New York and New Jersey and California did. So uh, so it has been challenging and this meeting has been very important. I do want to say on behalf of, uh, of all the vendors as well as, uh, you know, just uh, attendees here, we very much enjoyed this trip here as always, mm -hmm. Ohio. Does yeah, a great good, job. good. Yeah, we were very happy that our um, vendors chose to leave their um, deposits with us right. and come back and wait for us to have this because one of the things at the um, board level was we didn't want to do virtual yeah. because we just all felt that the virtual wasn't going to be as well perceived as yeah. in person, and I think it has been well perceived. Um, this time it's been a, it's been a great conference and if nothing else everybody's enjoyed seeing each other oh, and yeah. getting a chance to just sit down and talk with your your fellow ASC person. I think that's one thing that's different. Going to a lot of state association meetings, I just came from Texas, uh, heading over to New York from here, is that I think the collegiality of Ohio seems to be very high. I think you you guys work together very well. Uh, we Everybody seems to be friends with everybody else. And, uh, and not to say the other state associations don't mm -hmm. have that similar mm -hmm. thing, but it seems to be much bigger here. Maybe it's part of being in the Midwest. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll say that. <laughs> we, we've all been on the board a lot of years together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our board board works that you have to sit a year out after you've been on for so many you know years before you can run again yeah but um we've always managed that we are able to kind of stay on even if it's an ex officio mm -hmm. yeah and um after the passing of randy we really started to enforce that before right. you know randy was he liked keeping the people around that he knew and everything and we all worked so well together yeah. um but Next year, I will be on the board as an ex, ex, ex officio member mm -hmm. because I finished my second year up as past chair. Yeah. So I'm basically taking a year off, mm -hmm. and then next year I'll probably try to again. run for something on the board again. Yeah, because I like to stay involved with the Ohio Association. Well, it, it's been a great meeting, and uh, I, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to do a separate interview of you because uh, you have a nice, uh, nicely titled session coming up. So. <laughs> What is it? Doing this will make your center a top for performer. So I'm going to really like uh, grill you about how well, you're going to do that. It will be fun. It'll be fun. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Heidi talked about what you did 
what the association did. Talk a little bit about being on the flip side, you know, some of the experiences you had during the pandemic and what type of information and how you perceive, you know, from the board perspective is what, how you're going to handle things in the future. You know, have you learned a lot as a board from this experience? Yeah, I think we did. We, we learned that, um, how important our management um, executives are mm-hmm. because they stayed on top of the um, mandates coming out and the fact that we're, we have that um, Fitzgri- Fitzgibbons group that is in the state house themselves and they were able to say, hey, there's going to be an executive mandate come out. And so, you know, we were all able to listen and then um, select association management or Heidi, mm-hmm. our person, she would put the information together. She'd send it out to the board. Mm-hmm. And now I know what's coming out yeah. uh, right away mm-hmm. to help my ASCs um, in Ohio. And after the board looked at it, then Heidi would send it out to all the members. So you knew that the governor was going to mandate um, masks mm-hmm. an hour before the actual thing came yeah. out because it was coming. Yeah. And, you know, the Ohio Association was right on top of it and getting that information out. And I think that's very helpful as a member of the association to get that information ahead of time. Yeah, it can be so confusing keeping up with all of those changes and everything. It's such a useful thing to have somebody that can kind of interpret and Mm -hmm. and make you aware of those Oh, yeah, every time you turn around, they're they're still changing. And, you know, being part of a national company now, I still use the Ohio um, for my centers in Ohio, but it also kind of helps me if Ohio is doing this, guess what? Mm-hmm. Some it's of the other states up. are going to yeah. follow suit here real soon. So it yeah. kind of gave me an idea knowing that there'd be more coming up and um, I could share with my peers mm-hmm. what was happening in Ohio and yeah. they would have an idea of what's you know, coming for them. Yeah. You're, you're on top, obviously, of some of the legislative things. And I know uh, you're, that's not one of your main responsibilities. Barb Draves is supposed to be here, but she had an emergency, <laughs> so she had to leave. So uh, um, you're, you're, just give us an idea of some of the things that you have been dealing with from a legislator. Actually, before you say that, or talk about that, talk a little bit about your relationship uh, with the uh, Ohio Department of Health, ODH, and, and then also talk about uh, the relationship of the organization with the uh, legislature, you know, how you can yeah, interact okay. with the government. Yeah, we try working with, with um, ODH um, and finding out what the interpretive guidelines are going to say. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I can interpret them one way, you can interpret them another. And then, you know, ODH may completely interpret it another way. So we mm-hmm. try working with them through Heidi or through um, another member of the association because – you know, as an administrator, you're a little bit leery of calling the Department of Health yourself yeah. and, and saying, hey, I got a question for you because you're kind of afraid that they're going to show up on your door That's next right. week. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> honestly, I don't think that happens because I have a lot of ASC administrators that do call the Department of Health and ask them questions. Mm-hmm. And they've just built a relationship with those people. And that's actually in my talk today that you should have a relationship with the, right. with your Department of Health because yeah. – they will answer questions for you. And honestly, I have never really seen them be punitive. I, it mm-hmm. could happen. I honestly, I haven't been in the industry long enough to know if maybe they used to be is why everybody's yeah. afraid of them or just because we're afraid of them because we're administrators. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, you're right. I think for the most part, you know, my experience over the years is much better to get to know them before you have an emergency or something that's going wrong. I mean, I think during the pandemic, those organizations that had contacts at the Department of Health felt much more comfortable mm-hmm. calling them, oh, you know, I've got an exposure. What do I do about mm-hmm. it? You know, et cetera. So I think that's a very good takeaway from that. Yeah. So during the pandemic, 
Oh, by the way, I should mention, because I don't think we introduced, you are with AmSurge now. You're, yes, uh, I'm a senior clinical director. So I clinically support 16 ASCs, um, not just in Ohio. I have okay. some mostly New England type states. Yeah. And Minnesota and Missouri. Oh, wow. So, You're quite a territory. So I have a pretty decent-sized territory. Yeah. My two newest centers are Massachusetts, so I'm just now learning some of the state regs and rules for Massachusetts. That, so that's a little so bit she's new gonna to be, me. If she's going between Massachusetts and New York and she has to drive, she at least has to go through our state. <laughs> <laughs> but who, who wants to drive that distance? That's for sure. Um, talk, so let's talk a little bit about the legislative issues that you've been running into here and some of your challenges lately. I oh, know that okay. I know really everything going on is largely with the Department of Health, but I know there's some legislative issues. Yeah, there's a, a new... I'm not sure if it's a House bill or Senate bill. You'll have to look that up. But um, they are looking at redoing the rules for ASCs in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And so the Ohio Association is really on top of this um, using lobbyists from Mm -hmm. the Fitzgibbons group. And, you know, they spend a lot of time at the State House in Columbus and they know everybody and and Mm -hmm. sit in there and talk to everybody. And um, they really got the ear and was able to get them to at least listen instead of rewriting all the rules for Ohio ASCs mm-hmm. to fit, you know, certain criteria for everybody to fit in. Mm-hmm. They're looking at um, some of the proposals. I think there's like top five that we really rejected the way they mm-hmm. were written. And so they're working with with us on having them written the way that they will benefit ASCs all in general, not just, you know, not just certain styles of ASCs, but Mm -hmm. all of them. But, you know, why rewrite all the rules when they're there? They just might need some updating. Right. And Tori's, of course, referring to the uh, licensure regulations in the state uh, for um, for amateur surgery centers. And, And you're right. So many of these regulations were written, you know, in the very beginning stages of ASCs. I mean, uh, you'll learn in, in in Massachusetts, for example, that those are very old regulations since Massachusetts is one of the first states oh, yeah. to get involved in it. And then go to Connecticut and you'll see something even stranger um, <laughs> out there. I don't think any of those regs have changed since 1970. So, oh, okay. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting legislative uh uh, situation right now. It's about time they start rewriting those regulations. Yeah, some, some, of them, so some of them need some updating um, mm-hmm. and they just need to make it easier for us to um, comply to them yeah. as opposed to having them be a little bit interpretive. You know, um, some of the things we didn't want changed, like, you know, if you get an inspection, we didn't want the time frame changed. We, you know, we are prepared to fix Mm-hmm. within our normal time frames that you guys give us, to, you know, mm-hmm. the Ohio Department of Health gives us to fix mm-hmm. stuff. We're not asking for that. We don't need that. Right, you know? right. So don't, why change that? Yeah, yeah, you just know. for the sake of changing right. things. Yeah. And the Ohio Association is also on top of um, surgical smoke. A mm-hmm. lot of the states have already required that you um, in the operating room have a way to Evacuate the, evacuate the surgical mm-hmm. smoke. Mm-hmm. Well, Ohio, it's an AORN uh, initiative that's been going on nationwide. Yeah, wild, right, know. right. So Ohio hasn't pushed it through yet, and I asked about it at our board meeting the other day, and it's right now it's kind of sitting where it was because yeah. of, you know, their breaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it got brought up, and then it, they went on break and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So it'll be coming back up. So shortly Ohio will be joining, I think, what is there, 13 that have already? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. That have already... Um, 
adopted it. So Ohio will be joining them soon. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges in Ohio? And I know your territory is a little bit larger, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what do you think some of the biggest challenges for surgery centers in Ohio right now? Like, Mm -hmm. like in New York, for example, the vaccine mandate is a a big Mm -hmm. deal. And and in New York, we're also dealing, you know, suddenly surgery centers have to deal with things that are outside of the ASC regulations, like Department of Labor. Do you have any similar situations in Ohio? What, you know, what's going on? What, you know, tell us maybe the, even the staffing challenges. Yep. That was my number one answer right there. And that's Mm -hmm. not just Ohio. That's everywhere. But um, Ohio, for sure, staffing. And once the mandate comes down that everybody be um, vaccinated in healthcare, you know, it it might even hit ASCs more. Mm -hmm. Um, Another challenge here in Ohio that I didn't, wasn't as aware of, but down here in the Columbus area, for sure, one of the board members was saying that nurses are being paid $125 an hour to go to work. And mm-hmm. ASC can't. Yeah. We, we can't um, do like that. Like the traveling, traveling nurses. They're not even traveling nurses. Oh, really? They're nurses that are being hired for the floor. Yeah. Now, wow. I hate to assume because everybody knows what happens to you when you assume. Right. However, <laughs> um, from the talk at the table, which is the networking, which is the awesome part about the, right, <laughs> the right. association. The is that nurses are still being paid their normal rate, but mm-hmm. then they're getting a bonus pay oh. for coming in right now. Yeah. So, because um, that's, you know, the first question was, how are hospitals going to continue yeah. to pay somebody $125 an hour four years from now? Yeah. Well, they're not. They're going to pay you your normal $35 an hour or $34 yeah. an hour, but they're not going to give you that bonus check anymore. Yeah. Um you know, so maybe nurses will come back to the ASCs at that point in time. But I, yeah. I really think staffing is going to be the biggest um, hurdle for ASCs yeah. in Ohio because everybody's getting busier and you just you need staff to continue to grow. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, the governor of, of New York, by the way, just announced that uh, for all the nurses that are going to quit their jobs or lose their jobs because they're not getting vaccinated, uh, he, she's going to go recruit people from other states. So good luck with that. Oh yeah, no, there's there's <laughs> thank you very be, much. Yeah, by the way, there's going to be nurses in Ohio that refuse to get it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of look at it like I was basically mandated to get the flu shot for the last what 10, 15 That's years. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, it's it's the same deal. And, you know, you ask my husband, he's not getting a vaccine mm-hmm. and he don't want a vaccine. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. I I know that everybody has their own opinions on that. And mm-hmm. I really don't want to be the one to say you have to have the vaccine. Yeah. Um, our yeah. company mandated it for the corporate employees to help mm-hmm. protect everybody that we go visit. You know, yeah. I travel all over the place. So I already had the vaccine. I wasn't concerned about it. But yeah. I do travel and I do feel like it is my responsibility mm-hmm. to protect the people that I'm going to go see yeah. as well. So yeah, I think and that's going to be an issue as well. We've been very supportive of it in the podcast. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll say one thing again, we, you know, we ever, we truly do understand everybody's concerns. We just ran into an individual today who had a very valid, I won't say valid. They had a very well defined reason for it. And we have to respect that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then if we feel like maybe that's not a great reason we try to convince them or try to explain mm-hmm. it to them, but we have to be careful. I will say this much from my standpoint, I know with you too, especially now that we have new grandchildren, mm-hmm. I feel much safer having the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like you, you we said, travel in healthcare, all over. it's been something yeah. we've had to do for quite some time, you know, yeah. between the flu shot or having to prove yeah. we have other vaccinations. I didn't exactly just, like taking the flu yeah. shot every year either, since I always got sick after the flu shot. And I'm <laughs> one of those that, you know, gets a minor flu for a short period of time yeah. afterwards, and it's just frustrating. But this is important. Yeah, yeah. I um, I actually volunteered to give COVID shots during 
in, in Wayne County where right. I live. I yeah. help. I yeah. work with the health department for um, some Wednesdays after work, basically for yeah. a couple hours every mm-hmm. Wednesday and, and helped out giving out vaccines. And that was part of my excuse to get myself in there and, yeah. and get mm-hmm. the vaccine right yeah. away, too, because right, right. not being yeah. on the front lines, I it was hard for me to say I deserve the vaccination. Yeah. But I thought, you know, if I volunteer some time, yeah. then I can back. get the vaccine. And, you know, I gave more shots than I ever gave my whole career as an yeah. really? OR nurse <laughs> in those couple of months of just, you yeah. know, a couple hours at a time. Yeah, it probably felt good, too. It did. Yeah, that's good. It did. Well, as always, Tori, it's great having you on the podcast. Thank you for representing the entire board. Uh, <laughs> I hope I did it justice, Barb. But, um. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's Barb's own fault, you know, for this. But uh, it was great seeing Barb. It's great seeing everybody here. Absolutely. And as always, thanks for, for, uh, for joining us here. Thank you. And our next interview was with Scott Megason of MD Strategies, and he talked about emergency preparedness and um, how it can affect your ability in coding, how to be prepared. Yeah, it was great because uh, our booth was right next to Scott's, Mm -hmm. and uh, we just got talking about various things, and Scott and I have been friends for a while, and uh, I I don't, I honestly don't remember how we got into this conversation, but we were talking about emergency preparedness in general, and he said, you know, you got to be prepared for the possibility of your computer system going down Mm -hmm. or not being able to code in yeah. bill and what the ramifications of that would be so yeah. or uh, somebody being sick and, and not being able to do it for a right. while so yeah. yeah it was an interesting take on, on emergency yeah and we even talked about you know perhaps doing a drill uh, for this sort of thing mm-hmm. so let's listen to this interview with Scott so this is John Gailey. I'm here with Scott Magison. Um, Scott, you and I have known each other a long time. So everybody probably knows you from emails that they probably get, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> We've been sending out a newsletter on coding topics yeah. for 10, 12 years now. That's right. And uh, and you are regular. We just saw each other down in Texas um, uh, at the Texas Association. Um, you're, are you going to New York? Are you? I, I, I asked this question already. I'm not going to be able to do New York this year, but I'm hoping to add that into our schedule in f- for next year. In the spring in particular. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Well, thanks. We're here at the Ohio State Association uh, meeting in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It's uh, been a, a fun day so far. Uh, Sue just joined me. I'm just here now. Joined I just us got now. back. Had to plug in my computer. <laughs> So, uh, Scott, you and I have been talking. We've been talking for a while about what we would uh, bring you on the podcast to talk about. And uh, we were we were laughing because I think we talked in Texas about a topic, but neither of us can remember what it was that we were talking about. So, obviously, probably wasn't excited about what we just talked about. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, with coding, there's not a lot that is exciting. <laughs> that's, that's it's, too. <laughs> it's very necessary, but it's not typically exciting. That's right. For some reason, you, you don't have those crowds showing up at your uh, things saying, I, I need your service right away. Not anymore. Which, which brings me to the point we were talking about it was kind of interesting I, I don't even remember how we got into it but you made a point that uh, we all have disaster plans and surgery centers we you know sue and i preach it on the podcast we preach it with our clients that you know get in your disaster and what happens with your generator goes down what happens with your water goes down what happens if uh, you know a computer system goes down but uh, you you said something earlier today like what happens when your coder quits and and i guess you couldn't really call that a disaster but in terms of of an emergency it certainly is something important so i thought that would be a great topic to talk about, you know, preparing yourself for it and, and also what the ramifications of even losing a day's worth of coding could be. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on board. So uh, tell us a, you know, a little bit about your thoughts about, you know, how you plan for that and, you know, how companies such as yours obviously can uh, can fit in, you know, even if it's temporary. I mean, you can you can either decide this is it, I, I, I want to have a service permanently or, you know, I just need something on, on, on a temporary basis. Well, thanks for having me, John. 
you know, one of the things in dealing with clients, I have, all of them have these three inch binders that show what to do in an, the event of a, right. an emergency, a natural disaster, yeah. whatever. But I talk to people quite frequently <laughs> and usually on Monday morning yes. at eight o'clock <laughs> that say, my coder had a car accident this yeah. weekend. My coder was painting her house and fell off a ladder <laughs> and can't work for the indefinite future. What right. can I do? <laughs> right, right. And how quickly can you and, do it? <laughs> yes. And how quickly can you help me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, companies like ours, we're set up to where we can handle short-term right. emergency problems like that. But, you know, typically there's still a lot of paperwork. You've got to get a business associates agreement yeah. in place. You've got to get some kind of a, you know, at least a letter of agreement or mm-hmm. a, if not a more formal contract in place. So it's good that people recognize something's like that and mm-hmm. uh, are willing to take the preemptive measure of having that type of relationship established before they need it. Right. Um, and I think that's the important thing, whether you hire a company like yours or, I, I mean, I guess I could say, you know, if you're part of a practice, you know, for example, you might, uh, as part of your plan, say, okay, this is my coder now, but if, if they were to go out, you know, we'll bring somebody over in the practice. I, I don't particularly care what your plan is. What's important is that you have a plan. And, and to be honest, in your business, in, in the business of coding, it is so difficult right now to get coders, uh, let alone get somebody that's experienced in ASCs. Right. And one of the things that I run into, and and I talk to coders frequently that say, I haven't had a vacation in six months, or I haven't had a vacation in two years. Yeah. The first thing is like, well, why not? And they go, well, I don't want to have to get caught up on everything that happens while I'm gone. Right, right. (laughs) And, you know, establishing a relationship with somebody like MD Strategies can help you uh, bridge a short-term gap. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the event of a more dire situation, like a, um, I had a, a group uh, last year that called me. The lady said her coder mm-hmm. was painting her house and fell off a ladder and broke yeah. both of her arms, mm-hmm. which you know is obviously a very tragic <laughs> situation. Very and yeah, I, you know, and but, probably not able to code during that and, period of time. Yeah, couldn't use a computer during <laughs> yeah. that period of time. And I think I forget it was about six weeks if I remember yeah. correctly. But uh, you know, obviously most. Uh, ASCs cannot go six weeks without being able to submit some bills. Well, um, and let's talk about that for a second because that's something that I'm, I'm passionate about. We've been uh, doing a couple of sessions. I think I mentioned in New Jersey, I did a session recently about, you know, what do you do when you get into an AR problem? And one of the things that I talked about is what every extra day in receivable is worth to you. You know, it's basically take your total net revenue, divide it by the number of, you know, days and that is your daily revenue mm-hmm. and every day that you're not coding every day that you're not billing means that you're losing that now not permanently but you're not getting that cash in so mm-hmm. you know think about it if you're if you're uh, billing out net you know $25,000 a day one week you know 5 days and actually you have to add the weekend there because mm-hmm. obviously nobody's coding on the weekend is going to equate to, you know, in this case, $125,000 that's being held up for, you know, seven days there that, mm-hmm. that you don't get that cash until, you know, one week later than, than what you expected. Right. And frequently it can be longer because yeah. when the coder comes that's back, generous. they've got yeah. to get caught up. So right. it frequently can double yeah. um, that length of time. And if you're borrowing money on a line of credit, yeah. um, you're paying, you're actually you're paying, to pay interest yeah. on to keep the bills paid. Uh, I have found that 
a lot of employees don't like to work when they don't get paid. Yeah. So if the cash flow. <laughs> the sad thing for, the for business, those of us, the business owners. Yeah, I don't understand business, it. <laughs> uh, the sad, you know, the uh, workflow there can uh, yeah. can get impeded when the employees get uh, upset about not getting paid. So <laughs> you want to try to minimize those situations when all possible. So I think there's two sides of it. There's that emergency side, which just mm-hmm. top off. Well, let's talk about just the daily. You mentioned, you know, people being on vacation. That alone, you know, we've heard this attitude. You've heard this attitude. Well, I'll just wait till they get back. And just talk a little bit about what's wrong with that analysis. Well, and again, it just kind of amplifies what we were talking about. Uh, if an employee takes a week, mm-hmm. which most employees get at least a week, if not two, right. but, uh, you know, if they want to go on a cruise or they want to go somewhere that's mm-hmm. a little bit extended and you don't file any claims while that person's gone yeah. because you don't have that resource. You're back to borrowing money possibly on the line of credit. To, or going back, the worst thing in the world, going back to the doctors and say, you're not getting a distribution this week or yes. uh, or even worse, I need to borrow some money from you mm-hmm. to we get through. A yeah. Cash call. So That's you, usually you know, not a very good thing for your career. Yeah, they don't uh, They don't typically like that. Yeah. So it, uh, you know, having a relationship like that is where you have mm-hmm. a resource in just if it's overflow work, uh, we're heading into the fourth quarter of the year, right. and that typically, during the time I've been doing this, it will increase anywhere from ten to fifteen percent over what you're doing yeah. on a you know a prior quarter during the fourth quarter. And as we get yeah. closer to the holidays, it ramps up even more. So at a time when people are taking more vacation or are out, absolutely. and again, that's people want to be off some, yeah. during some of those times and. You know, it's it's bad for employee morale when you tell people no vacation before Christmas. Yes, no vacations <laughs> in December, or whatever. Which I unfortunately yeah. I frequently have to do as well, just yeah. because. Well, you got to keep your employees happy. Still, yeah, you want to try to. You know, you yeah. know, it's hard to keep everybody happy. Hard to keep all the employees happy and all the clients happy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So it's a juggling act for the managers in that situation. Talk a little bit about right now where we are with coding. You know, getting coders, hiring coders, because I think that's a challenge. Uh, I mean, many organizations that are going to hire companies to, you know, basically outsource. And we actually, a previous episode here, we we're talking about outsourcing and how outsourcing is becoming very popular now. Because the nice thing about outsourcing is you you do hopefully do away with that situation in which somebody leaves you suddenly and you're you're suddenly stuck. You know, like if you're outsourcing regulatory compliance like us, you don't have to worry about that nurse leaving. You know, we're we're covering you during that whole period of time. Same things, same thing with coding. But but often right now, I, I think we're running into a situation where it's hard to hire people. Is that what's happening in coding too? What's what? Where we are with uh, coding and and having people? I mean, I know a lot of it's regional. You know, like you might live in East Podunk. Hopefully, there is no such place as Podunk. Otherwise, I'm in big troubles with our listener. But you might be in a in a very remote area and you don't have a coder. So talk about two things first. Of all, yours is my passion about making sure that you hire coders that are certified, as well as just getting coders in general right now. Where are we in the industry? Uh, you know, it's a tight market, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I think we're still facing a little bit of restrictions on with people getting extended unemployment benefits yeah. and things like that. Lower level coders are newer, less mm-hmm. experienced coders. Uh, don't make a whole lot more than some unemployment, you know, yeah. than unemployment can make in some cases. Yeah. And, um, you know, also some of the other things of coders going into an office and they don't feel comfortable in that, in this environment right. now, uh, some of them have retired, which is pulling some of the other coders up mm-hmm. a level, which is not always a bad thing, but you know, in our 
particular case, one of the most difficult things we find is getting experienced coders in multi-specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find a good orthopedic coder that knows nothing about urology yeah. and GI. Right. Or, uh, you know, you can find a good uh, GI coder, but they don't know anything about ENT right. or okay. urology or something like that. So My best example is I can code eye cases. I've been doing eye cases for 17 years. I used to teach coding. Yeah. But Show me orthopedics. There's no way. I don't even understand half the words, you know, in that. uh, And and it's getting even more so now with, uh, as I'm sure you know, one of the big trends in ASCs is cardiovascular. And yeah, we know nothing about it. Nobody does. You know, it's it's a little bit of a a blind, leading the blind kind of thing with uh, some of this stuff in an ASC setting because it just hasn't been done before. So So let's talk about um, the issue of. the experience level of coders and getting certified. We, you and I were talking earlier, you know. Uh, so one of the arguments when somebody leaves the ASC, the coder leaves the ASC, you know, the owners will say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just lend you my coder from the office. You can use her for a while. What do you think about that answer? Um, Be- and, of course, what they're going to say is, because our codes are better anyway, we might as well just use the code that the office is using, right? What could go wrong? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, – and in some cases, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, most but cases, it it's tends not. to have some issues. Yeah. The, and, and talk about that because coding for an ASC is different than in the office. I mean, it's not wholly different, but but it does take different sets, which is why you have different certifications. Right. There. I mean, the facility fee coding is a little bit different. Uh, you know, it should be very close as far as, I mean, the primary Right. Uh, procedure codes and the primary diagnosis code should be the same. But there are a few uh, exceptions where the doctor's office can bill for things that the facility cannot. Right. Um, and modifiers are too a big Some thing. of the modifiers yeah. are different and so forth, yeah. And, um, you know, we see a lot of things where people are just not, and particularly when they come in from an office, they're maybe not having the most recent yeah. material. Um, recently had a case um one of our clients is in the process of buying a facility mm-hmm. and we did a due diligence audit and the, I don't know if the, they were facility coders or I don't know who did the coding, but they were using some codes from 2018 Yeah, or I from should say they were using something moment. that was superseded in 2018 yeah. and some procedures that are now bundled that they were still unbundling Yeah, and led to a, probably a, slight inflation of their revenues at this particular facility. So I don't know how that's going to wash out for my client. Um, But, uh, you know, there are things like that, that keeping up to date and we spend, Mm -hmm. uh, as I write the checks for all the books and the uh, different (laughs) materials that we purchase, it's, you know, quite expensive to stay up to speed on everything. And, you know, that's one of the things that partnering with a company is yeah. even if, uh, you know, one of the things that we will do is kind of a hotline service mm-hmm. where if you don't use us in a full capacity for all your coding, if you just want to get uh, yeah. a second opinion on something, to send it in. And that's it, great. It helps. It's a retainer with, type service or, or fee for? Typically, it's fee per uh, event. Okay. And, yeah. that's, uh, I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and I mean, we. We'll price it accordingly, depending yeah. on. But it's you know pretty inexpensive when you look at the fact of um, do I am I capturing all the revenue I should right. be capturing on this thing? Uh, Especially if you're running into something that you hadn't coded before or a new experience, because that's going to happen. I think we're we're finding a lot with total joints right now. This I, I don't 
I don't code anymore. I, I, I could never teach like I did before coding. I, I mean, I'm so far behind that. Um, but I can't imagine that coding for totals is uh, easy. Um, again, I'm not a coder. I know. I can't, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot there. Uh, I can't speak to, uh, you know, and from what I understand, if, you know, at so many times with yeah. be it total joints or whatever, if the documentation is right, my understanding from my managers is mm-hmm. the total joints are less complicated than oh, some really? other procedures if, again, if the documentation is right. Right, right, right. Um, and that's one issue you run into frequently is yeah. that. There are uh, varying standards of documentation, so sometimes you get all the information in a nice, yeah. concise little report, and other times you get the documentation and you're not sure what the doctor did. <laughs> a, a lot of our audience, our administrators and nurse managers here, talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, you know, we're, we're, here, we're here at the Ohio State Association Conference here, talk about the importance of getting the coders out of the office, or virtually, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you do it, but getting some annual training for them. How important do you think that is? Oh, well, in this day and age, it's very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're about to, I have not seen personally, but here at the end of this week, we're going to have a whole new set of ICD-10 codes that kick in. That'd be fun. And uh, then, of course, in January, we'll have a whole new set of ICD, or not a whole new set, but Mm -hmm. a a number of additions to the current set of CPT codes and modifiers. And uh, one of the things right now that is crazy are additional Hicks picks codes yeah, yeah, because those were, they're getting new products approved. They're getting new you know implants for mm-hmm. different things approved and keeping uh, up to speed on what products have a payable code now versus mm-hmm. you know what's still experimental or what's still considered experimental and has to be reported unlisted is a you know very important thing. Yeah, and of course you don't want to go the other way where you report the payable code first before it gets approved right. is, uh, when you should still be using the unlisted. So so do you have a feel for what's going on right now with uh, auditing, you know, activity, you know, from the government of uh, looking at, uh, at claims right now? No, I wish I could. Yeah. The, I haven't really seen, I know we have clients in varying parts of the country um, and some of the commercial carriers are yeah. a little more aggressive. Right, in even auditing. Medicare. Yeah. Um, I have not seen really a lot of aggressive Medicare auditing in yeah. an ASC setting. Uh, we have. Have you seen it in the past? Like, how would you equate it? I know you. You, know, you probably know a little bit about the frequency. Is it because there just isn't a lot of activity right now? Do you feel like that might have been in the past, or? Um. I think personal feeling strictly, uh, you know, of course, what, four or five years ago, everyone was all up in arms about rack audits. Right, right. Uh, And there's, we still get a question here and there that a rack audit was done. Yeah. Uh, My personal opinion is that, particularly in Medicare, uh, there's so much more opportunity to get recoupment in a hospital setting as opposed to the revenues uh, in your typical ASC. Right. That That's a good point because the, we've been seeing that happening uh, nationally. Uh, Medicare mm-hmm. being, from what I understand, understaffed, right. uh, particularly as it relates to auditors, uh, there's more opportunity for recoupment going after a big hospital that may have billions of dollars in revenue versus an ASC that may have you know, not even 10 million a year in revenue or something like well, that. Well, especially so. since they extrapolate that data. So, you right. know, extrapolating uh, something that happened in a surgery center over the number of cases there compared to what you would have in a hospital would be, you know, a lot more money from the hospital. Very good point. Right. Lastly, 
just talk a little bit about you know hiring somebody to come in on a periodic basis to uh, look at at your coding. I know that's a service you offer. How important do you think that is? You know, regularly doing some coding audits. Um, I think it's very important. I like to tell people if they're unsure about it, it's kind of like that annual physical you get. Yeah. You may not want to do it, and it may not always. Parts of it may not be pleasant when you right. have to actually go in to get your uh, physical, but yeah. uh, if you get a clean bill of health, it's kind of self-assuring and reassuring to know that you know everything yeah. is good and I can proceed on. Um, we have clients that do quarterly audits. We mm-hmm. have clients that do biannual audits. So right. um, they have, if they feel every two years is sufficient and they don't have a change in coding then, you know, that's probably is sufficient, assuming everything right. was good previously. I've always told people that, uh, you know, if you get a new coder in, even yeah. you know, they th- you think I wouldn't let them go more than 90 days just double check. to double check. Because yeah. it's too important to the cash flow of the facility to go down the wrong trail. Right. Uh, you don't want to have to come back you know, a month later or, or six months later and have to refile 20% of your claims because you found out your coder mm-hmm. was missing something. Right. And I'll add uh, to our listeners also, uh, keep in mind that your corporate compliance plan might actually state uh, that you have to have periodic uh, coding audits done. Uh, I find that, you know, periodically people, have you know, implement this uh, corporate compliance plan, never read it. And it says something like on an annual basis or on a quarterly basis, you know, I'm going to do coding off. So certainly, now there is no requirement that you do this. There is a requirement that you have a corporate compliance plan. There's no requirement that you specify a time frame. But many of those uh, cookie cutter um, compliance plans out there actually tell it, tell you that they have to do it and, and people fail to do that. So good right. thing to check in. Too. Yeah, I've, I've seen, you know, and it can vary depending on if you're part of a, you know, a group that has 250 facilities or right. um, if you're a group that has, you know, 10 facilities, it right. could be, or an independent facility, depending on how you're, you know, how you're structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, I find that a lot of the smaller facilities, the independents, are the ones that don't necessarily get an audit done frequently. And I think they're, fre- yeah. they're the ones that probably need to have one right. done more. Uh, a big company typically has a corporate policy in place and there's a regional manager or right. someone that's in charge of making sure mm-hmm. that you've had a, an audit done you know, within the last year or the last right. six months, whatever the case may be. Scott, uh, Scott Magison with uh, MD Strategies. As always, it's a pleasure talking. First time that you've been on the podcast, I should point that out. But uh, yes. you and I talk a lot, and uh, I'm sure we'll see each other at some conferences. This has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining well, us. Thank you for having me, John. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. And our next interview was with Tori Kalit. She's with AmSurge, sure. and this time she was talking about her speech which was doing this will make your center a top performer. So that was quite interesting. It was. It I was love a, the name. It was a great title, and we had her in the office. Uh, you know, we had a little mm-hmm. mini studio there, so we had her there, and we uh, tied her down because she doesn't – it's <laughs> funny because she doesn't feel like she wants to talk, and that she does a fantastic does. job. Yeah, does. Uh, so we, we tied her down and told her that after we interview you with as the immediate past president, we just wanted you to talk about one of the speeches. Mm-hmm. And I think next year when we're able to get back again and, and get things back on more of a – uh, uh, a normal schedule. We'll have more interviews of, mm-hmm. of people that did speeches, but yes. these were the only two we were able to do. So let's listen to this great interview with Tori Kalett regarding doing this will make your center a top performer. So this is John Gale. I'm here with Sue Cronkite, and uh, we're interviewing Tori Kalett. 
Tori, you've been a, a friend of ours for a long time, and I, I guess I have to kind of mention here that you're old center, the center that uh, you, you came from before you went to your current employment, uh, was our first client at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and is still, you know, is now our oldest client. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for the trust you had in our company and uh, and all of the great years we had together. And now, Tori, tell us about where you are. <laughs> I uh, work for a national company. I work for AmSurge. I am a senior clinical director. Um, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And working with, um, at the current time, 16 different centers and yeah. different center administrators. I think the part that I like the best about it is my position is all clinical now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, being a nurse, the business side of being an administrator was a little bit more foreign to me. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot. And, and you really taught me a lot the, Thank you. the five or six years that you guys were with me as as the administrator, um, especially when I covered all the different roles in the, the <laughs> office for a couple of years there <laughs> while we were looking for other people and everything. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. and. Well, I think that's one thing for nurses, you know. I mean, you, you can get through the administrative stuff, but your first love is always taking care of the patients, taking care of other nurses, mm-hmm. and uh, you always did a great job of that. And well, I, thank you. They, they, I, I'm sure they're they're enjoying that interaction. Plus, the fact that you know, uh, just like I had 17 years as an administrator, you had a lot of years in the trenches. So when you're working yeah. with all those centers, they can't come back and say, "Well, you don't understand what it's really like here." And you know, that's been one thing that I've really. I, I worked there for 12 years and I started the place and I really thought I would just like, you know, retire there. But yeah. um, it was really scary starting out again. Mm-hmm. But I'm really happy I did it because I feel like when I do work with my administrators, you're right. I, I can say, no, I already did that. <laughs> and, right. and that doesn't there, work. That. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or I understand where you're coming from. You know, HR was always... A yeah. sticking point and always hard, you know, mm-hmm. you're a nurse, you're not a human yeah. resources. And there's a lot of rules and laws that you don't even know as right. a nurse. Um, so having HR help was was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're here at the Ohio State Association uh, Conference. And did you anger somebody that you're the last person uh, on the agenda? <laughs> or, or maybe it's because they knew your speech was going to be the best and it'll keep people until the no, end. No, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with being the last. Um, I, I was at a different time slot and they asked me to move back because uh, somebody had a flight to catch that yeah. was speaking and I was like, perfect, because the more people that are gone, the better I'll feel anyhow standing up there in front of everybody. You're going to do a great um, job. It's- and, you know, the funny thing about my uh, – um, presentation, which is called Doing This Will Make Your Center a Top Performer, mm-hmm. is the biggest thing that I've noticed is everything that I say in here, mm-hmm. somebody's already said it. Yeah. At least twice or more. Yeah. I mean, so everything that I feel like I'm going to go over has already been gone over. So yeah. I think that kind of reinforces in my yeah. mind mm-hmm. exactly what I'm trying to explain to you. This is not a catch-all. It does not talk about every single thing you need to do right. to make your center wonderful. But it does talk about the top things because everybody else has been talking about these yeah. for two days now. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, together. I think that's, the, you know, I did a speech just a couple hours ago. And, I you know, one of the things that we always want to do is – you know, when you talk for an hour, you're going to talk about a lot of different things, but you got to leave them with some real bullet points that they take away from it. And hopefully that'll be what triggers them. And so the first line in your description says, adding a few important details to everyday life can help your center be a top performer. So tell us what those, you know, we'll go right to the point. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's go right to the point here. 
All right. So uh, some of my top things are um, quality. Yeah. Quality. <laughs> quality. Um, there's your three bullets. <laughs> there's, there's three of the five. Now, um, you know, my I think the hardest thing that the administrators I work with ask me about are quality studies. And yeah. I am not really sure why everybody's so afraid of them or thinks they're so hard. Mm-hmm. They really, once you start to work on them and look at it, they're really simple. Yeah. And they can make a big difference in your everyday life at your center. I mean, you can really find some things that can be improved and, and make it better for your center. You can stuff financially, um, mm-hmm. stuff just patient safety, and um, they're just real important. I, yeah. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say, but I well, feel like quality studies are the hardest thing for everybody, and yet they should be the simplest thing for yeah. you. That's easier than credentialing, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you really have a lot to worry about when you credential. Are you, yeah. you know, finding the correct information? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any uh, quality improvement study that stands out recently from one of your centers? Um, you got to have one good story out of 16. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I think the biggest one that um, I've been pushing my centers to do is it seems to me like AAAHC is really asking a lot for the MIFUs on everything. Yeah, and they're point. wanting to see the MIFU and that you're doing what the MIFU says. Manufacturer's so, instructions for use, yes, by the way. Yes, thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we all do in this business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we live by initials and everything. Yeah. But um, so that is a study that I have three of my centers doing. Mm-hmm. Do you have all the IM, MIFUs yeah. for all of your patient care equipment? Yeah. And are you following them? Yeah. Because a lot of them are like, yeah, we have all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but do you have it from 1970? Or do you have the Mm -hmm. one that just came out in 2020 that says you don't clean it with this anymore? You have to use this solution or whatever. And are all of your pages stuck together because it hasn't been opened in eight years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, yeah. So that is um, one of the studies that I have people doing. And then one of my centers, um, she took the job as center administrator basically – two weeks before AAA watch walked yeah. in for her and she worked in a hospital before. So AAA was really new to her and mm-hmm. um, they got cited for a bunch of on their quality studies yeah. because yeah. there wasn't really any done and she didn't have the time to do them because she just walked in there two weeks yeah. before. And the biggest thing that she did as soon as she took that job was she started going through the cupboards and looking at things. There was stuff in there that was expired from like 10 years. Mm. So she got it upon herself to do a study on Mm -hmm. um, expiration dates and making sure that everything was out of there. Mm -hmm. So I literally just helped her write that up a couple of weeks ago when I was out um, visiting her. And um, I think it's a great study after we did that because um, even... Even after we wrote up the initial, she's now looking at it for the next three months because they have inventory in the middle to see if how well her staff does at picking out stuff that's expired again. She's going to look at it after the inventory because, you know, her restudy was in the next three months. So 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 think what you just did. You just helped 300 centers in this country right now to come up with a quality improvement study, which I don't think anybody's talked about. That's a great idea. Yeah, I I, I think it's a great quality study. I'm not... um, you know, trying to toot my own horn here, but that was just one thing that I thought of. Yeah. And I never even thought of that when I was an administrator. Right. But just going forward, when I start visiting my centers and I see that they don't have this stuff, it kind of hits me as like, oh, here's a quick study for you. Mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. Well, it's so, so funny because, of course, Sue is working with your former center right now to get the quality improvement study. So <laughs> I, I noticed that she was frantically writing notes as we were preparing for this. So I, I think we got I the problem solved. Because, yeah, <laughs> So what else are you going to talk about as uh, some t- top things? Uh, 
some of the other top things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, staff evaluations Mm -hmm. because uh, the state of Ohio says they have to be done annually. Oh, really? Where AAAHC says periodic. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to really be careful in in your state as Mm -hmm. to what does your state actually say. So and brings um, up a very important point that we always have to emphasize is that we spend so much time concentrating on the federal conditions for coverage and the interpreted guidelines that sometimes I find a lot of places don't even look at their state regs. Very good point. Right, right, yeah. and yeah. See, I'm 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 fighting with a a center right now that wants to drop the H and P. Because yeah. it's it's a nice eye center, and you know they don't feel like they need to do their H and P's, but they're AAA HC yes, certified, and their state says they have to do an H and P. So it's not, I'm not really fighting with the center. I'm just um, sending the information Make to the more. center leader so that she has the paperwork in her hand to back up when she, when this medical yeah. director keeps saying, yeah. "I don't want to do these." Well, right mm-hmm. here says you have to. Right. Yeah. So um, and, and a little bit of point of reference too, because we as we all know, but again, I'm mate. Uh, explain it to our audience is that it was the ophthalmology society that went to CMS to argue to have mm-hmm. the requirement mm-hmm. from a CMS from a certification standpoint removed but it's virtually irrelevant in almost all states and anybody that's accredited because most of the accrediting organizations at least require uh, a uh, an HMP mm-hmm. uh, maybe not the time frame that CMS had but very good point that most of us really can't take that away. Not to right. mention, I don't think we want to. I mean, I no. get it for some of those local cases, but these major cases, no. Yeah, no, no, there's too many people trying to do surgeries really on patients that that yeah. do need to go to the hospital. I mean, I'm I'm every day, bring them to the ASC, bring them to the right. ASC. But there are the patients that need to go to the hospital, right. you know, that they're they're out there and, you know, yeah. it just, it, it should be done safely. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. So, Another thing that I I really wanted to talk about in my talk here was about the Respiratory Protection Program because ASCs haven't had to do this. When I first started my center in 2008, we bought one box full of N95s, you know, thinking, okay, we're going to have this. And they sat back on the shelf. They got completely covered in dust. (laughs) And then I read somewhere a few years later that if we're going to have these, we have to have a Respiratory Protection Program in place. And I'm like, oh, yeah. We're not doing this. Throw these masks <laughs> right. away. So, you know, in One week before the pandemic, probably. You know, yeah, probably in 2010, we probably threw those things away, like, yeah. you know, two years later. But um, now, because of the pandemic, I do have a whole slide on a respiratory protection program yeah. and handouts on how to at least set this up, just yeah. to help people with it. Because most people probably have it set up, but there are a few little things that you have to have in right. order to do that. And for those of you that are listening, uh, and I'll probably try to remember to put a link in here, uh, the good news is this information is available right on the OSHA website. I, yes. There's even sample plans, which I'm sure was right. probably the basis for it. But that's a really good point that yeah. we really need to need to make sure. I can't believe, Tori, how many times I, I walk into a center now and, you know, N95s being used, of course, N95s being used over and over again, which, mm-hmm. is, of course, is wrong, um, and no respiratory protection. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. And then if you have a center that doesn't need the N95 particularly, you can still adapt that program to mm-hmm. fit a KN95. You right. know, you mm-hmm. just you just fit it to what you do in your center. You know, you need that KN95 on your crash cart in case you have to do CPR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing an ocular plastics case, you know, where you need more protection, mm-hmm. then you may have to have that N95, you know, in your center. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do anything like that, 
you yeah. know, adapt your respiratory protection yeah. program to the KN95. Very good point. And, and of course, the KN95 is not a respirator, but you're right. Your point, and that's one thing that we have been saying late, lately is that as people are saying, no, I want my N95. I, you know, we actually, uh, we're sitting here, we're, we're actually maskless, which is a lot easier <laughs> to talk. Um, but we have KN95s, you know, sitting mm-hmm. around the table here uh, because I, I think people do feel, they, they do fit differently. They do feel well. But if you've been wearing an N95 and, you know, convert to this. You don't need the respiratory protection program or more importantly, the fit testing, but you're right. right. If you have the respiratory protection program, at least you can differentiate in the program as to, as as to, to the attributes of them using. too. Yeah. Yep. And then um, vaccine management, since we've gone into the COVID era here, yeah. um, you know, the triple AHC book now is talking more about the manual. I guess it is. Yeah. It's talking more about vaccine management and, you know, monitoring your refrigerators is a yeah. lot different than it was yeah. even a year ago or, or two years ago. I think the, the book came out in 2020. Yeah, B41. Yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, you, you have to monitor that 24-7 now. Yeah. And does everybody yeah. have that? Like Alethea was talking about somebody put uh, ice in a cup and put a penny on top yeah. for the weekend. Yeah. And if their refrigerator went out, that's how they monitored. It was down at the bottom. <laughs> the penny <laughs> melted. You know, yeah. the ice melted. The penny fell to the bottom. You yeah. know. You need the 24-7 monitoring of your vaccines, and do you want to do that? If you don't want to do that, you know, write your policy that you're not going to keep vaccines, that your vaccine management program is to get your employees vaccinated through occupational health. Right. I mean, you don't have to do it Mm -hmm. in-house. Your program Mm -hmm. can put you elsewhere to take care of it as long as you're providing something. And I think we do need to point out too that we really we are starting to frown upon non medical grade refrigerators, like we call them dorm room yes. refrigerators. Yes. It's fine for food, not fine for uh, medications in general, and certainly vaccines because mm-hmm. they're just too unstable in terms of their temperature. So yep. great. Well, Tori, as always, it's great uh, talking to you. It's great to be in person again, <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad that your uh, your career is really taking off there. I'm, well, I'm, I'm very it. proud Thank of you. you. You've uh, you've uh, worked hard to get to where you are, and I was just telling Tori that I, I'm going to recommend her to be a surveyor with AAAC uh, very <laughs> soon. So as that things opens up, I think you'll be a fantastic surveyor. Thank you. Thank but you. I'd love to do that. As always, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you, John. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development, All Rights Are Reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.